Welcome to the Reformation Fellowship Podcast. Reformation Fellowship provides support and fellowship for all who would stand for the Reformation of Christ Church worldwide. We long to see the church revitalized by the gospel and seek to encourage all who share that vision. We gather together for gospel-hearted fellowship around gospel-minded theology. Greetings and welcome back to the Reformation Fellowship Podcast. My name is Justin Shell. I'm your host. And if you have missed the last two episodes, you've missed the first two parts of this conversation that we're in the middle of right now. This is the third and concluding conversation about justification by faith alone in the Old Testament with Stephen Jenkins, lecturer in Greek and biblical studies at Union School of Theology. If you missed those first two episodes, please do go back and listen. Uh, They're going to lay the foundation and the framework for where we are in this conversation. So that first conversation two weeks ago was justification by faith alone in Genesis. Then last week in the Pentateuch, the first five books of the Old Testament. And now today we're going to take what we've been talking about, justification by faith alone in the Old Testament, and hold it up next to the New Testament and say, are we reading this right? Is our understanding of the Old Testament, is it matching up with what we see Jesus and Paul and and the writer to the Hebrews and others are saying? uh, This argument we've made that the Old Testament is a Christian book, Christ, salvation by grace alone through faith alone. Those distinctly Christian things are central to the Old Testament. We don't read those things in, they are there And if we miss them, then we're misreading the Old Testament. So we're going to compare, in a sense, what we've been seeing with what the writers of the New Testament say about this topic. So let's jump in now to our third conversation about justification by faith alone in the Old Testament with Stephen Jenkins. Stephen, thank you for joining us one last time here on the Reformation Fellowship podcast to talk about justification by faith. Thank you very much indeed for inviting me back. Yeah, it's been great to have you and to walk with you through two episodes ago, Genesis, and then last episode, um, looking at kind of the, the, the law of Moses and, um, and how, these are, these are my words, but the listener do go back and listen to those, how we see from the very beginning, as soon as there was the fall, the first promise was salvation that would come from outside of us through the seed of the woman, and then that becoming even much more clear that our salvation does come outside of us through faith. And so as we transition to the New Testament to maybe make sure that we we understood the Old Testament correctly on this issue, before we jump into that continuity, before we look at how the New Testament confirms what we've been seeing, we want to kind of just acknowledge some things have changed though, right? Stefan, help us understand what did change as we, as we f- maybe flip over from Malachi to Matthew uh, <laughs> old into the New Testament. I mean, you, it's absolutely right. And, and it's difficult to overstate it. Uh, mm. you, you can't shuffle your Bible books. If you put Romans in the middle of the Old Testament, it makes no sense. Mm. Um, if you if you put Zechariah in the middle of the epistles, wait, what's going on here? Mm. Um, uh, what changed? Well, God the Son, for us and our salvation, became flesh. 
And everything in the universe changed. I mean, I think, you know, ever since that day, we have lived in a universe where God in Jesus has entered creation as a creature and been one of us. Mm. We, we have right now, since the ascension of Jesus, uh, 40 days after he rose from the grave, we have right now sitting in heaven our own flesh, a man, a human being sitting right there. And that has been true for about 2,000 years and was not true before then. So mm. we, we can't overstate the significance of God becoming a man. But God is not a thing. God did not change. Mm. Um, so certainly there is a um, huge discontinuity between the period before Jesus came and the period since he has been here with us. Uh, clearly, the New Testament identifies um, that there is a problem uh, with the people of God, and it explains that in terms of discontinuity, uh, of a contrast between the Old Covenant uh, and the New. But the question is, what is the problem that the New Testament identifies? Uh, and the first thing we've got to say, it is not the nature of God that changed. Uh, and we've seen before that before Jesus became a man, God was always the God who justified sinners freely by his grace, despite what we had earned, by mm. crediting us with the righteousness of another, which we received by faith. And you see, some would read the New Testament and come away with the idea that the problem that the New Testament identifies is that, ah, the Old Testament said, be justified by works. And that obviously led by it to failure. And that's why Jesus had to come to sort it out. And the good news, the thing that's new, is that now you're justified by faith alone. Mm. Um, so I'm not going to spend a lot of time today talking about what did change. What I want to home in on is we've seen for the last two sessions that justification by faith alone was always there in the Old Testament. And so I just now want to show that the New Testament agrees with that, that the New Testament says justification by faith alone is not what is new in the New Covenant. It is not the source of the discontinuity. It is not the nature of the, um, of the disjunction. Mm. Uh, does that make sense? Yeah, it does. So, so help us then give us the lay of the land for, for how the New Testament presents justification by faith alone as a, as a not new thing, <laughs> as a continuity with the sure. Old Testament. Help us understand that. Well, let, so let's remember one thing we saw um, last week uh, is that um, remember that Romans 3, 21 to 26, talks about the cross showing God's justice by paying for the sins of those whom God justifies, mm -hmm. and then making that surprising connection to say, this was true for the old covenant believers uh, who received this righteousness before Jesus had died on the cross, mm -hmm. and for us in the new covenant. So already there we see, well, the source of alien righteousness is the same. Mm -hmm. uh, it is 
the, the cross. Now that still le might leave the question, okay, but how did they experience it? How did they receive it? Uh, did they receive it like we do, by faith alone, apart from any good work, apart from any merit mm. of our own, or did they receive it uh, some other way? And the answer the New Testament gives is they received it as we do. So, for mm. example, we looked at Noah when we were looking at Genesis, and Hebrews chapter 11, verse 7, describes Noah like this. He became an heir of the righteousness that comes by faith. Noah, according to, to Hebrews, was justified by uh, faith. Abraham then, and we, and we can't uh, we can't keep reminding ourselves of this enough. You know, the New Testament authors keep going to Abraham, and it's not because they had arranged in front of them uh, their children's dolls of Old Testament characters from from Sunday school, and they just picked one that was convenient to prove their point. Abraham is the guy you go to 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 say anything in the Old Covenant. All mm. the promises that God himself restates. You know, I am the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. I'm doing all of this because I swore to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. Jesus himself talks about the promise to Abraham, Isaac, uh, and Jacob. When you have in, in the opening chapters of Luke, um, the, 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 those folks bursting out in, in, into song, as you promised to our forefathers, that, that mm. kind of thing. So, uh, yeah. This is not an obscure proof text yeah. um, that we go to, but Romans 4, especially Galatians 3, it's even there in James 2, keep pointing us to Genesis 15, 6, that Abraham believed in the Lord and the Lord counted it to him as righteousness. So we've, we've got to get this straight. When Paul wants to persuade us, that we are justified by faith alone. In the same chapter where he wants to write, um, this is not being paid wages that we have earned. When he wants to write, God is the God who justifies the ungodly, how does he persuade us of that? He quotes the Old Testament. Mm. And yeah. he doesn't quote the Old Testament by saying, you need this, and we back here didn't have it. He quotes the Old Testament by saying, this is how Abraham was right with God. Yeah. And we can, because Abraham is the, the prototype of the faithful, he's the father of God's people. He is the exemplar um, that it's, it's not, he's not a random example. He is the example. So for us, maybe, Maybe as to you know, twenty-first century Christians, we don't realize as Abraham, so us, right? That, that right. whatever's true about him, that's that's true about us because we are in in him. Maybe that was easier for uh, a Jew in the first century, or 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 you know, a thousand BC. But but he is the the one that we are in, hmm. and so as Abraham, so us. Is that is that the idea? Kind of what we're we're to understand with this this pointing to Abraham again and again and again. That's right. So, I mean, a, a, a lot of the arguments uh, 
in the New Testament is who who is the seed of Abraham, and it it's we who believe. Uh, so so interestingly, what is it that makes us be ones for whom what's true of Abraham is true? It's faith. What is it about Abraham that we're saying is true? Faith. Um, so yeah, that that's how that's mm. exactly how it works. Abraham and 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 that would silence a lot of arguments. <laughs> Um, was justified by faith. So, okay, Abraham. Uh, um, any that we're still back in Genesis. Help us. Um, any is is there anywhere else in the Old Testament we see this? Any anyone else talking about this? Right. So again, st- st- so we're still in the New Testament, still in Romans four, and again, what does Paul quote to prove his point? David. And he quotes, he could have quoted David's Psalms in a number of places, but he chooses to quote Psalm 32, where he relies on justification by faith alone. Blessed is the man whose sins are covered, against whom the Lord does not count um, uh, his sins. Uh, and, and again, when Paul wants to persuade New Testament believers, mm-hmm. which I'd like to persuade you is a strange phrase, should just be believers. That's kind of the point that we're making in one sense, right? Um, when he wants to persuade the church at Rome of the implications of justification by faith, when he wants to rehearse for them why justification by faith is true, he quotes King David from the Old Testament. So the New Testament agrees that the Old Testament was based on justification by faith alone. And that means that the problem that Jesus confronted when he came to his people, you know, something had gone dramatically wrong. And it was not that he was coming to a people who had been given a different gospel. He, he had not come to a people who had received from God this message, you need to earn your salvation. And then, of course, they found they couldn't, and Jesus came to give them relief. That was not God's message to the Old Testament, uh, in mm-hmm. the Old Testament. Right. Instead, what had gone wrong, and, and the New Testament tells us this, is that Jesus came to a people who had abandoned justification by faith alone. They had been trying to earn their own righteousness rather than rely uh, on the God who saves uh, sinners. And so Jesus wasn't calling them to something new in that sense. He was calling the Pharisees, everybody he encountered, to imitate the Zechariahs and the Elizabeths who had learned from Abraham and from David what it means to be righteous, what it means to be blameless under the law, keeping all its statutes, which is to have your sins forgiven by trusting in God and therefore having the righteousness of Christ imputed to you, uh, counted um, as yours. So, again, let's be clear that we can't overstate the difference that Jesus' coming made, but that difference wasn't inaugurating this new idea of justification being by faith alone. Well, that being the case then, there's clearly a problem that Jesus came to solve. He he didn't just show up and say, job done now. You know where the righteousness that you've always received by faith came from. So what 
what did change? What, or maybe a way to put this is what, what was the problem if, uh, if justification by faith alone didn't change and the problem wasn't that they couldn't keep the law perfectly in their own power to earn salvation, what was the problem? Right. And, and, and this is where, I mean, if we begin with, you know, we, we hinted at this last time, just think about what's going on with the Pharisee and the tax collector. Uh, here, here you have the Pharisee pleading his uprightness and the tax collector confessing his sin and relying on and asking for mercy. Yeah. And Jesus we're told why he told that parable, and we're not told he told that parable to explain the difference between the Old and the New Testament. He did not tell that parable to say, this Pharisee represents how it should have been under the Old Testament, but now the tax collector shows you how it will be under the New. Um, no, he, he told mm. that to those who were relying in their own righteousness. Mm. So what Jesus confronts is not... Old Testament religion, but a corruption of Old Testament religion. He, he confronts those who have misunderstood what Moses uh, taught them in the way that all human beings, myself included, are always tempted to distort the message because justification by faith alone is humbling. And so I'm always tempted to look for an angle where I can be righteous in, in my own stream. So if we then look at a, a detailed explanation of what the problem was, we, we have it in Hebrews, Hebrews chapter 8. Um, what was the problem uh, under the law? And uh, Hebrews 8, if I begin to read at verse 6, um, goes like this. But as it is, Christ has obtained a ministry that is as much more excellent than the old as the covenant he mediates is better, since it is enacted on better promises. For if that first covenant had been faultless, so notice he finds fault with that first covenant, there would have been no occasion to look for a second. Verse 8, for he finds fault with them when he says, and then he begins to quote Jeremiah 31, behold, the days are coming, declares the Lord, when I will establish a new covenant with the house of Israel and with the house of Judah. And here's the point of verse 8. Who does he find fault with? It's not the law. It's not the covenant. It's the people. Mm. Uh, the problem is uh, us. The problem is that God had not yet, as he promised in Jeremiah 31 and other prophecies, poured out his spirit in such measure that the people taken as a whole trusted him. Now, we've, we've got to be careful here to that we're not saying this is a Jewish versus Christian thing. Um, we're not saying this is an ancient thing versus a modern thing. This is the difference between God not having done the work of grace in people's hearts and God having uh, done that work. Mm -hmm. uh, and interestingly, what does Hebrews 8 go on to quote when it goes on quoting Jeremiah 31? He doesn't do away with the law. He says that the law is written in our hearts. Mm. What changes is not how people are saved. What changes is that the people become 
saved. And so we know the law taught justification by faith alone. So no surprise that when the spirit writes the law in your hearts, that is, you're becoming somebody who is now justified by faith alone, because you believe what the law taught, which is that mm. the only way to be right with God is to be justified by faith um, alone. So we, we have here, um, if, we, if we think then about Galatians, one of the places where we see the discontinuity, the, the radical contrast between old and new most clearly, Paul has this devastating phrase in Galatians 3 and 32, where he describes thousands of years of history like this before faith came. Yeah. And um, I had for a very long time read that and assumed he meant before the idea of justification by faith came. That's how I naturally read those words. But actually, he says before faith came, not mm. before justification by faith alone came. In other words, before the people as a whole were given the gift of faith. Faith also is a, a gift um, that we haven't earned. So in other words, before what was prophesied in Deuteronomy, in Ezekiel, in, Je in Jeremiah, in the prophets, before that had happened, before faith came, this was the problem. Um, the problem was not that you were meant to earn your salvation and you couldn't. The problem was that you didn't trust in God alone as your savior, and we're trying to earn your salvation, or indeed not caring about salvation. Yeah. Is this change of heart, this producing faith, the, is that a change from the original plan? It's, um, no, it, 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 it cannot be. It cannot be. And um, you see it again when, when Paul in Romans 9, 10, and 11 is, is lying out what has happened to Israel with grief, mm. Paul the Israelite grieving over, over his fellow countrymen. He describes where he had gone wrong, where his fellow countrymen had gone wrong, by look at how they received the law, verse 31 of chapter 9 of Romans. But Israel, who pursued a law that would lead to righteousness, did not succeed in reaching that law. Why? Because they did not pursue it by faith, but as if it were based on works. The law was never meant to be based on works producing your righteousness. It was always your righteousness comes um, by faith alone. And so where have you gone wrong in your pursuit of righteousness? Actually, it's, it's the very fact that you've pursued that righteousness, your own righteousness, rather than receiving the one that was given to you for free that was an offer for you. But that was predicted in the law. So Deuteronomy 30, you, you've got to nearly the end of the Pentateuch, nearly the end of Moses preaching to the people before entering the land. He has predicted that, look, here I am, I'm offering you life and death, choose life. But you know what? This is what will happen if you choose life. This is what will happen if you choose death. Surprise, I'm telling you now you're going to choose death. You're going to choose curses. Mm. You're going to be vomited out uh, of the land. And yet after that, Deuteronomy 30 and verse 6, and the Lord your God will circumcise your heart and the heart of your offspring so that you will love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul that you may live. So the 
prophecy in Jeremiah 31, the prophecy in Ezekiel 36, Paul's comment on the fact that I'm faced with my countrymen who have turned away from receiving the righteousness that is a gift, but here I am being used by God to call them back. That was always the plan. Uh, and that was just an outworking of Genesis 12, that, that in you, all the families of the earth um, will be blessed. It, it was an outworking of Genesis 3.15, that, that someone from outside of you unrighteous people will come and mm. deal with the serpent. It's an outworking of Genesis 1.28, that, that go forth and multiply. And at this point, he's speaking to righteous people who are yeah. to fill uh, the earth. So, um, you know, here we are talking about Israel, but evangelizing the nations. And again, we've got to say that's not new. Uh, that's not new because Paul in Galatians 3 puts it like this. Verse 13, Christ redeemed us from the curse of the law by becoming a curse for us. For it is written, cursed is everyone who's hanged on a tree. So that in Christ Jesus the blessing of Abraham might come to the Gentiles so that we might receive the promised spirit mm. through faith. In other words, the restoration of Israel so that we might receive the promised spirit through faith was part and parcel or part and parcel of that was mm. the gospel going out to the nations, which is exactly what God had promised to Abraham in the first place. So what, what we have is a thoroughly evangelical Old Testament being played out in history. Stefan, as we sort of come to the end of this three-part conversation, I think one of the things that stands out for me is the role of the Old Testament in the life of the Christian and how if, if what, you, what you've been saying isn't true, the, then the usefulness, the, the applicability of the Old Testament for the Christian changes dramatically. Uh, I, I, I don't, would it be too strong to say that if the way God saves, if, well, really the way God is, the way he um, saves, the way he uh, in, interacts with his people changes between, from works to faith between Old and New Testament, then wouldn't it seem that we would need to just discard the whole Old Testament if that were the case? I, I think... Um... In terms of its usefulness for a believer on the whole, the answer almost would have to be yes. Mm. Because if Jesus is the word of God, John 1, who became flesh, if Luke 24, all of the scriptures point to him and are about him, and if all the treasures of wisdom have been hidden in Christ... Um, if there is no salvation under any other name than Christ, and we affirm all of these things to be true, if that is true, if, if Christ is the aim of our reading of the Bible, because it is his word for us, empowered by the Spirit, and if the Old Testament was a story of how not to be saved by Christ, was a story of how you should try and save yourself by your works and then you'll fail, and then wait a few hundred years, and then Christ will come along, then why bother with it? Mm. Why not read the documents from after when Christ came? Yeah, I th so I think that's right. I think it, it's, um, it's, 
really important to know you can open your Bible anywhere, and there is Christ offering himself to you mm. in the gospel. It changes everything. It changes um, that, that first two-thirds, first three-quarters of my <laughs> Bible, all of, a, all of a sudden becomes not only something that maybe I can find some wisdom for my life or applicability, but uh, just as much as the New Testament, a place to encounter the living God, the, the, the life-giving God, the God who saves if you could recommend one or two resources to help someone maybe go further into this, and it could be, it could be justification by faith alone in the Old Testament. It, maybe it's a, a little different nuance, but helping us as Christians really embrace, receive, and trust the, the, the Old Testament as God's word for us, and that he is the same yesterday, today, and forever. Any, any um, resources come to mind? Sure. Uh, I th this is not me trying to be twee or uber pious, but I think one thing I would say is actually just read the Old Testament. Mm -hmm. If you've always been nervous of it, if, you, if, you, if, you, you know, if you're not sure where to begin, begin at the first page and then just keep going forward. That's, that's the easy bit. But you know, I spent a lot of my Christian life thinking, I wish somebody would teach me the tricks that I need so that I can read this as if it were a Christian book. Mm. But it is a Christian book. It always has been. Uh, it has never been anything else. Mm. So, of course, there is plenty there that will be unfamiliar or, or confusing or that develops later on as you keep reading. So we're not pretending for a moment that it's easy. But reading the New Testament isn't all that easy either, not all of the time. So um, don't fear, uh, have courage. Here is a love letter from the Father who has always justified sinners by faith alone. Mm. Um, pick it up, read it, and enjoy it. Um, I think anything from the pen of the, the late, great Alec Matea will be immensely rewarding and helpful. Mm. Uh, so, yeah. Spell his last name for us. Yes, good point, because it's not spelt the way it sounds at all. So, Alec, um, as in Alec Guinness, Obi Wan Kenobi, um, Matia, M O T Y E R. Um, so, at one end of the scale, little book that won't take you long at all to go through, um, you know, wonderful bedtime reading, even if you like. Uh, mm. Look to the rock. Mm. Um, look to the rock. Uh, by uh, by him, uh, at the other end, you know, if you're if you're wanting to maybe do some um, uh, more focused and and meaty study in a book of the Old Testament, his commentary on Isaiah is still uh, almost without equal, mm. um, and uh, and just you know that that that's heavy. Uh, he has got a thinner one, but there's a there's a big fat IVP one and um, a thinner one that IVP also published. But either way, um, tremendous encouragement to see um, that the prophet Isaiah was writing about Christ, or in fact, let's put it more strongly, that it was Christ who was writing through the prophet Isaiah. Wonderful. Well, Stefan, let me thank you one more time for joining us here on the Reformation Fellowship podcast for these three wonderful 
wonderful conversations. Hey, thank you so much for having me. It's been a real uh, pleasure and privilege. Thank you so much for joining us here on the Reformation Fellowship Podcast. We pray that this time together has been a blessing to you. The Reformation Fellowship is a ministry of union. And so all that we do, we hope it helps you to delight in God, grow in Christ, serve the church, and bless the world. If that is your hope, that is your desire, then friends, welcome to the fellowship.